yeah, so, wow. All right. Hello, everyone. After, um, a month. Oops. <laughs> we, we've all been kind of busy, as you might have seen or observed uh, through various social media platforms. Um, so this is going to be a bit of a shorter, uh, just a bite-sized episode for everyone um, to, to just provide an update and sort of get things back into a normal state uh, before we do a larger uh, live-streamed episode, hopefully in the next couple of weeks depending on who I can force to actually appear. <laughs> That's always the fun part. Off Kyle. Um, but yeah, uh, so I think we're just going to mainly focus on uh, on Ukraine um, for this episode, just because... Um, but back to Ukraine. Obviously, since we last talked, um, the Russians had sort of a bad time, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, where did we leave it? last time i can't even remember uh, really. it was like march 14th so march the russians 14th. were pushing on kiev they were you know avoiding urban yeah. centers i think i think we had talked about the time that it was looking like the russian offensive had stalled um yes that sounds very familiar and quite conveniently i have the um <clears throat> live ua map website open right now so i'm just gonna <clears throat> Just, go back in time a little bit to March 14th just to see what the map looked like at that time. Just, just turn um, back time on this one and we'll see. Yeah. It, it, yes. It... So, yeah, March 14th. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Hostomel was still... Yeah, still Hostomel, Butcher, Open, that kind of area. Kiev suburbs fully occupied. Um, yeah, just the, the northern border... Of, of Ukraine wasn't looking in a great shape um, all the way over to, you know, from Kiev all the way over to Sumy and Kharkiv. Um, you know, thing, things are going a little bit better for Russia now in the east, but, you know, Kiev and... I mean, I would even argue yeah. that things for Russia in the eastern part of the country are somewhat precarious right now. Their, their holdover yeah. Izium is... Um, very, very tenuous at the moment. Um, there are only a few roads they have uh, uh, connecting their holdings um, in that city to the main yeah. bulk of their um, of their forces. Um, we're seeing the Ukrainians continue to fight pretty heavily um, in the east as they continue to move more troops into the region. Um, that's going to be a big advantage for it. Or not an advantage, but it's going to be a controlling... Um, Thing over the next few weeks as Russian forces continue to try to capture or create this pocket around um, uh, Severodonetsk. Um, and it, it really does look like they're aiming to create, you know, a, a smaller pocket than the entire JFO area at the moment. Um, sort of that, that, that pocket running from uh, Izum, and I'll, I'll throw it up on a map here just to make it easier for people. But um, uh, basically, Izium down to uh, Horlivka. Um, so that that looks like the most likely um, area that we're gonna see sort of Russian forces um, uh, trying to capture a portion of the JFO area. In my opinion, mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, the Ukrainians again have freed up troops in the western part of the country. Um, they are now available, and. It depends where they send them, um, whether or not they try to send them to reinforce, you know, positions in the JFO area in the east, or whether or not they attempt to make a push back towards Kyrgyzstan um, and clear up uh, uh, the crossing over the Dnieper River. That's going to be a, a, a super big thing for them to sort of focus on. Um, obviously, Mariupol, at this point, it's basically just the Azovstal plant. Um, so that's going to be, um, I, I mean, I, I don't really know what to compare that to with the Russians because they have proven so far that they are not great at urban combat. Um, it's taken them, what, almost two months now to, to clear Mariupol? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, 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 they reached the city, I mean, well, first day almost? In the first few days, yeah. But absolutely, certainly within the first week, they were, you know, 
almost within the city at that point. Um, so yeah, it's been a real struggle for them. And I, I mean, I, I've personally, you know, privately predicted that the city was going to be fully captured, you know, within 48 hours. I've lost count how many times at this point, you know, just when you see that, you know, you see a lot of Russian movement and then they seem to stall again. Um, I mean, even so today, you know, the, um, you know, Azov in the city, they're still conducting, you know, successful counterattacks in some regions. Um, you know, there's a video that drone footage today of them, you know, ambushing uh, a bunch of fresh Russian troops that just came into the city. Um, you know, I, I was just looking at my phone, so I didn't have a chance to, you know, like really in depth um, analyze the video. But it looked like a significant amount of Russians were killed in that attack. Uh, and you know, as far as I could tell, Azov took absolutely no losses at all, at least in the footage that we saw. Um, so yeah, it's it's they're still definitely not making it easy for Russia. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I hate to use the term inevitable; it's going to fall. But I mean, just looking, you know, on a map, I mean. Oh, there, there certainly is point. an inevitability yeah. to what's going to happen. Um, yeah, if if Ukraine weren't wanted on for whatever reason, want to make a real push towards the city, they're going to have to go through about a hundred kilometers of you know Russian-occupied territory to to get there. So it seems it would be almost pointless yeah, at this point to even try it because, as you know, as um, you know, Mariupol is a very uh, strategically important city for you know on the uh, on the sea of azov but for the war at the moment um for ukraine it's you know not you know it, i don't think it's gonna be very high up in their uh, priorities at the moment to kind of break this break the siege of mariupol um the longer it goes on and of course the uh the more russian forces are tied up there um unable and you know unable to help out in the uh in you know, the I guess in the last twenty four forty eight that was uh you know the start of the battle you know for the Dom and the Donbass has started right in the last one or two days um, yeah it still seems piecemeal at the moment there there really isn't a concerted effort yet mm. um I, I mean we we haven't seen sort of the massed artillery strikes we really um, no. aren't seeing much attacking out of the south in my opinion at least I I think they're waiting until they can secure. Uh, yeah, so, um, post-editing technical, just jumping in here for a second to say, yeah, at this time, it does look like the Russians have started a concerted effort. We've seen announcements by, um, the Ukrainian military. We've seen increased strikes, um, by Russian forces, especially, um, artillery shelling, um, in the east. And we also saw some stuff in Kyrgyzstan, um, uh, tonight slash yesterday, um, yeah, just just keep that in mind for this entire segment. This was recorded about 30 minutes before everything happened. You'll see by the end of the episode, we start to realize what's happening for Mariupol so that they don't have to, you know, have that on their flank. Though it's becoming very hard for them to, uh, to do that at the moment. Yeah, and I think that's why we saw... Um... You know, Ukraine launched a you know a, a small-ish counterattack to the uh, the southeast of Kharkiv um, yesterday or the day before again maybe, um, and again captured some towns to the the north of Izium. Um, but you know, again, if they can start clearing out more areas along that that highway, there will obviously be very useful to to Ukraine, obviously very difficult for Russia to, to move troops further south towards the front there. Um, yeah, but it seems like, yeah, they, you know, Ukraine have been, you know, when they have been launching kind of like offensive um, operations, they seem to be going relatively well. And I think most of that's probably due to the fact that, you know, Russia aren't expecting it half the time. And I think, you know, a lot of people aren't expecting it. Everyone's kind of expected it to be, you know, Ukraine fighting a very hard defensive war the entire time. Um, and not having much opportunity for, you know, offensive operations. But it seems, you know, Ukraine are definitely, you know, performing a lot better in that regard. Um, especially as, you know, I think that was after the last time we spoke, you know, the, the helicopter raid into Belgorod, um, and just, you know, the, the kind of several missile strikes across the border as well, um, must be causing like a, a real issue for, you know, Russia's logistics capabilities at the moment. Yeah, I think it's probably also a statement, at least those attacks more, you know, at least towards the, the Russian people of, you know, Ukraine is still in the fight. Your government is mm -hmm. lying to you. 
Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's very difficult to uh, convince the people that you're winning, you know, handily when the garden's on fire. You know, from like a missile strike across the border. It's, it's. Uh, yeah, I think it does help bring the war home to those people. Yeah, and it makes uh, the Russian claims that the Ukrainian air force has been completely neutralized a bit. Uh, uh, a bit. But they don't look great when the Ukrainian Air Force then yeah. wanders over to Belgorod and then blows up the oil refinery. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't match yeah. reality. No, exactly. Um and, and speaking of the Ukraine, I mean we haven't seen uh especially I maybe the you know the TB2s are still up and still conducting strikes, but they seem to have stopped releasing footage, right? There was a Ukrainian S U twenty four that was shot down. Um uh, right, we, like a uh, week ago or a few days oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but that apart from that, that, I don't think we've seen much evidence of Ukrainian Air Force activity. But that's probably because they're being, you know, quiet. Yeah, and, and even the like, Russian Air Force has seemed to be um, relatively, you know, reduced. I mean, I'm probably, you know, holding them back in, you know, again, in preparation for the, you know, the, the, the Donbass battle that's approaching. Oh, I mean, um, we saw the first use of a, of a TU-22 M3 in, in the actual, like, strike aircraft role. Um, yeah, that, that, that re- like, was it actually, like, over the Ukraine? Yeah, no, no, it was, it was over Mariupol. Like, they, they were, and the, the weirdest part of this was, they were using unguided weapons. They were basically using dumb freefall bombs. From a oh, TU-22. To, it's just, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it, it does tell us that Russia is actually having to dive deep into their stocks of assets to attempt to do yeah. things. Um, yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, surely it's, you know, it's bigger and, and slower than anything else they were using, right? So surely that's even high, much, much more of a risk for them to use that in that kind of direct role. Oh, absolutely, and it was flying within, you know, uh, manpad range. I mean, yeah, it, it was. Were... Yeah, it seemed quite low. Yeah, from the video yeah. I saw, I, I just didn't know that was actually like over Mariupol. I thought that was like in Russia somewhere, as you would expect to kind of, you yeah. know, the whole point of them, right? I mean, I, I, the manpad probably wouldn't be able to bring down a bomber of that size, though. Again, no one's sure because it's not exactly something that gets regularly tested. Um. No, because I mean that's what um, what am I thinking of? Like the uh, is it the S two hundred that uh, Syria almost like, always kind of accidentally fire into Israel when they're trying to shoot down like jets and stuff? Yeah, the the missile that's the size of a telephone pole. Yeah, 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 that one and that one. I think that one was obviously developed to kind of bring down like B fifty twos, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you need a lot of explosives to bring down a bomber. Um... Yeah. I think yeah, additionally, but, uh, I mean, at this point, it, it's fairly clear that the Russians are taking really heavy losses. Um, I mean, we've seen the videos from Mariupol. Um, they've been less, you know, shared around because they're frankly pretty graphic. Um, mm -hmm. But the Russians have obviously taken extremely heavy casualties in the city. Um, as, you know, one would expect with urban fighting. It's just, that's what happens. Um but that's going to sort of reduce the combat availability of a lot of those units sort of in the area. Um, and it's going to make it harder for them to go and then pivot straight around and, you know, move up into Donetsk and do whatever they were intending to do. Um, I mean, we've, yeah, we've seen... Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I was just really surprised that we haven't really seen any movement from, um, you know, like the Duhansk or the... Luhansk or Donetsk republics. I mean, obviously they're they're involved in the south and obviously involved in the fight with Mariupol. But I was fully expecting them to kind of, you know, maybe open up a couple of extra fronts, which they, I guess they might maybe when this battle starts. They seem um, in very involved in Mariupol right now. Uh, from what yeah. I've seen, it's a lot of the separatists there. Um, probably because Mariupol's symbolic to them. They sort of want. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, they they almost captured it back in 2014, 2015. They were like on the uh, the outskirts. They were um, technically in the city for for a oh, bit yeah, of time yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like when the whole thing started, there was a couple of kind of like internal, um, I guess, cells. I guess would be the kind of best way to describe them. At the start of like armed guys running around. Yeah. Um, and they could have very quickly kind of got booted, you know, booted uh, east. Um, but yeah, they've Mariupol has been obviously the 
a main main goal for uh, Donetsk Republic for since you know since 2014 because I mean for one it's it's a port it's a, they don't have any port cities um, so like, obviously having a, a big port like Mariupol will be hugely beneficial to you know someone trying to you know be an actual state. Um, so I, you know, I think at this point the, the statehood question of the separatist republics is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, 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 I really don't think there's a future in between them either getting reabsorbed by Russia or retaken by Ukraine. I, yeah, I, I think it's probably going to be a Chechnya situation, right? That's, I think that's probably one of the most likely scenarios. Yeah, it's most likely. I mean, again, at this point, it all depends what the Ukrainian military is able to do. Um, if they're yeah, able but... to comprehensively, you know, beat back russian forces and russia doesn't want to dedicate more they you know don't want to do general conscription they don't want to you know raise more reservists they don't want to do all this stuff um you know i mean i i i think we were scared or more um cautious to say this a month ago but there is currently a path for ukraine to win this mm -hmm. i mean I, or I, I, at least win um in the I mean, at the moment, it seems that Russia are going to try and go for, again, like, you know, the, the the republics and try and kind of carve out a little chunk of land in eastern Ukraine for themselves. Um, and, of course, they've got a huge kind of swath, swath of land in the south as well. But, I mean, if you'd said that, you know, um, you know, at the start of this war, that Russia would kind of end with just the Donbass region and a land bridge to Crimea, I think Ukraine would have, like, you know, I think Zelensky would have bitten your hand off a lot of outcome you know, before this war started. Yeah, not just um, that, but the Russian forces being forced to retreat from major mm -hmm. portions of Ukraine. That's, I mean, that 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 was. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. Um, no, I mean, the, you know, the the battle for Kiev was obviously. Um, well, I mean, it, it was a Ukrainian victory, even if it was, you know, as much as Russia wanted to say it was a tactical retreat. The battle itself was absolutely a Ukrainian victory. You know, that's, that's, that's you know, the meaning of the word. Yeah, um, I mean, and that's just a huge, huge propaganda. Victory. Yeah, it's a huge propaganda win as well for Well, it's not just Ukraine. a propaganda win, it's, it's a practical positioning win. They don't oh, have yeah, to devote yeah. troops to, or they don't have to produce, devote as many troops to protecting Kiev as they were. Yeah, exactly, and I know obviously as a result of that, now they've been a lot of troops on like the western border who have been freed up, because um, obviously there was obviously the real worry of you know a push on Odessa and 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 such, which you know seems to be completely out of the question at this moment in time. Um, you know, it, it seems to be even very unlikely that you know Russia's going to be able to hold on to Kherson, which <laughs> you know it it seems to be not so much movement in that region at the moment, but it seems like they can get pushed back across the river. Um, yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and you know, I can say from there, I don't think, I don't think Ukraine are going to try and push too much from there. I think Ukraine are going to be quietly satisfied if they can push them back across the river, um, because obviously, you know, the river itself is a great defensive line, right? Especially with the amount of destroyed bridges along that region at the moment. Yeah, I think there's also a question at this point of, you know, is there a peace agreement to be had? Like, it just, I, I. I don't see really, I mean, obviously the Ukrainians have an interest in, you know, creating a peace, um, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know if the Russians are there right now. They, I, I don't think there's a peace agreement in which the Russians get anything at this point. Um, yeah. I, I, or anything <sighs> meaningful that, that would, you know, justify an operation where you lose a fair portion of your active military. Yeah, so again... <laughs> You know, it, before this war, if you know, if you know, Putin probably wouldn't have been happy with just the Donbass region and you know a minimal operation. Um, and you know, I think Zelensky would have been happy with that. I think most people would be happy with an outcome of a limited invasion in which Russia takes some, a little bit of land in the east, um, and it, it ends there, kind of thing. You know, it's. I think the issue for Russia is they've made this huge play. Especially going for Kiev and going for Odessa and going for, you know, almost the entire northern border, and now they've lost or been pushed back to a huge amount of it. Um, if they did just take the Donbass region at the moment, I think it would be a 
you know, a, a huge disappointment, I think, to not only Putin, but I think a lot of people in who, you know, in Russia who pushed for the invasion, um, especially with the amount of, you know, losses they've had, you know, not just manpower, but obviously the Moskva as well, which I don't think we've touched on yet, which is, again, I think the most recent thing. Um, but they've had huge, you know, like manpower and material losses over the last, um, as of... As of next weekend, as of Sunday, next Sunday, it'll be two months since the invasion. 24th it was, right? Um, yeah, it will, yeah, morning of the 24th, though, granted, it's it's unsure about when. Yeah, morning of the 24th, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, in six days, it'll be two months since the start of the invasion. Um, and... I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think there's any confirmed number of Ukrainian losses. I'm sure, especially in Mariupol, there's probably a huge number. Um, if not, you know, just captured alone. I think we've seen quite a few, you know, a substantial number of captured soldiers in Mariupol. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't think it's, you know, controversial to say that the number of Russian losses is kind of dwarfing Ukraine's at the moment, especially from what we've seen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, it's, as I said during the last episode, as I've said a bunch of times, it is an attacking force against a motivated defending force. You're obviously mm. going to have major losses when you do something like that. Especially because, I mean, Russia definitely is not able to put forward a 3-to-1 advantage anywhere right now. I was going to say it's 3-to-1, right? It's, it, a, it's yeah, the kind of rule of thumb. magic ratio, and Russia cannot put those anywhere. Um, it, it just... And, and that causes issues. It, it makes it more of an attritive war. Um, and I mean, Russia's main gains early in the war were because, one, they could put three to one or more advantages against any Ukrainian defenders. And after mm -hmm. they broke through initial lines, they were able to exploit it with their mechanized forces. Then in the next five days, they ran into massive supply issues and they ran into, you know, stiffer Ukrainian resistance, more mobile Ukrainian armor, um, and it basically stalled out. Um, we saw it stall out in the north first, arguably, and then at the south. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, I mean, I, I was going to say we haven't really seen any sign of those um, issues, but I guess the, 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 the war as a whole, is, um, there's been not a lot of movement in, I, I'd say even again in the last month or so, there hasn't been a huge amount of... Um, territory changing hands apart from again you know like russia making a real push on Izium and that kind of region in the in the donbass region um you know I, i'd say for at least the last week or week and a bit um maybe even longer there, there hasn't really been any large offensive right on, on either side no it's been piecemeal at this point um i i think one of the things to consider is the fact that again both sides basically wore themselves out pretty heavily during the first month mm -hmm. of fighting. Um, Russia is forced to regenerate units. The Ukrainians are forced to raise new units. Um, and and at this point, I, I th really think that both sides are trying to sort of figure out where they can, you know, mass a proper number of troops to make an offensive and, you know, where the other side may potentially make it offensive because what might happen is the Russians, sure, they might make an offensive out of Izium. And then the Ukrainians might decide to try to cut them off. And I think that's something that the Russians are might be keeping in mind. Obviously, their strategic um, uh, preparations have been a bit lacking. Um, so, yeah, who knows? And I mean, obviously, the, the main issue is obviously the Donbass region is is you know, hugely fortified um, on both sides. I mean, it's just the entire from you know from from what we saw in the build up to the invasion and in the years prior i mean i think it was very rare for it you know a week to go by without um at least one civilian stumbling upon a landmine or an exploded munition or something like that and being wounded it was very very common unfortunately well, not just and... that i mean it's turned into modern day trench warfare yeah yeah so any kind of i think that's why um you know, for the most part, they haven't made a real push out of the republics at the moment, and they've been pushing from um, Russian territory. You know, obviously, yeah, yeah, they've been pushing from Russian territory and through areas which you know haven't been, you know, haven't been, you know, at war for the last eight years. 
um i think eventually they are have they are going to have to push um you know from the republic especially you know the, the you know from northern luhansk um gonna have to push towards you know slovyansk and kramatorsk um but i think that will come much later um and i think they're probably gonna try and put they like said probably push south from Izium first um and see how far that goes but Again, I, I'm very hesitant to predict how it's going to go because, again, as I've said, I, I'll happily admit that it, it, the entire war hasn't gone how I expected it to go. Um, it hasn't gone how anyone expected it to go, I don't think. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be... I mean, it's, it's going to be... I mean, if, you can, if it can get more brutal at this point, but I think it's going to be very, very brutal fighting in the Donbass over the next couple of weeks when when it does eventually kind of start in any real way, which I did just see on, um, did just see on Twitter about three hours ago that uh, some uh, Ukrainian politician, I can't remember which, I don't think it was Zelensky, but someone said that they are now seeing signs that uh, the offensive in Donbass hasn't started as of, you know, a couple of hours ago. So, you know, the next week or so could be very, very, um, it's going to be decisive, I think, in, in the war. I mean, I think, like, if Russia do make very quick, very big gains in the Donbass region, um, I think they're going to try and settle for that a little bit. They'll try and settle for that. Um, they'll settle for the land bridge to Crimea. Um, there were some rumours that they were trying to very quickly and hastily put together an independence referendum in Kherson. Or Kherson. Um, I don't know if there's any substance to that. I didn't see any kind of real evidence. Um, but that was the rumor. Um, you know, I'm trying to create a, another little state, maybe next to Crimea. Uh, but again, I, I I don't see that succeeding in any real way. I mean, I've, I, or Ukraine accepting it. Um, so yeah, I think the next week, ten days, you know, up to maybe two weeks, is going to be very, very decisive for the, you know, for the the entire war. But I've got absolutely no idea <laughs> how it's going to go. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think really anyone does at the moment. Um, there are a lot of questions about the Russian military. Um, I, I think there are an equal, maybe more, um, quantity of questions about the um, Ukrainian military and where they are right now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I definitely think that we've seen, you know, major Russian blunders in the past, but I just... Again, I, th I think that lack of sort of that Russian ability to put a three-to-one advantage up across the uh, front is going to hurt them really badly. Um, I still Can think we... there's... Oh, carry on, sorry, carry on. I, I still think there is a chance that even if the Russians attempt uh, an attack to attempt to circle portions of the JFO, the Ukrainians will just, you know, counterattack and cut them off. Like, I, I really do think that's a massive risk to the Russians. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I did I knew what I was going to say, and it's completely slipped my mind. Uh, there was something I was looking at on this map. I'm going to keep looking at the map and see if it comes to me. Uh, oh, no, nope. It was in relation to what you were saying about the, the 3 to 1 ratio. Because, um, you know, we have seen recently there were some posters posted, I think, on VK. Um, they obviously made their way to Telegram and Twitter. Again, I've not been able to verify they were like genuine posters or not, but they were like Russian military recruitment posters, kind of offering you know good pay, um, you know only two weeks training, um, deployment to Ukraine for a month or something, and then you know coming home. Um, and I mean, sending sending conscripts with two weeks of uh, refresher training sounds like yeah. a great idea, doesn't it? Yeah, and I was just like, I mean, maybe it's real. I mean, I I hope for the people that sign up sake that it's not real because it's just, it'll just be a slaughter, surely. Yeah, that's just I mean, throwing bodies of the problem, and that does not contribute to a three to one advantage. No, no, yeah, I think the three to one, you know, only real matters if the people if the three know what they're doing, kind <laughs> of, you know. That, um, yeah, but it seems like Russia is already. Um, incredibly having manpower shortages, um, you know, at least in their uh, in their volunteer army. Um, again, I'm not sure how large their cons cons yeah, conscript size is. Um, I'm gonna quickly Google that. Uh, 
Okay, I mean, it says like total personnel is around a million, but I mean, I don't know how many of those are combat forces. I don't know what the uh, the normal ratio is in a, in a kind of like a standing army. How many of that million would be, you know, actual fighting soldiers? <clears throat> um, yeah, but it, see, it seems that, uh, yeah, they're having like real issues just with, you know, bodies at the moment. Um and I think that is incredibly, well, I mean, everything's incredibly surprising, but I think, again, that's also incredibly surprising that, you know, six weeks into into a war with, um, or six, seven weeks into a war with someone who, you know, wasn't seen to be, you know, a peer to Russia, um, they're already, you know, having to call up conscripts, reserves, um, people off the street what it looks like at the moment to try to get you know just try to succeed try to you know gain something from this war yeah and again i i still think there are just such major questions about what the russians will end up actually getting out of this um a <laughs> massive economic devastation uh yeah. destruction of their most ready forces including a large portion of the vdv um which will take years if not a decade to regenerate um but like you i mean their reputation's fully dead i mean that's something you can't regenerate that and that yeah. without invading someone else and winning yeah congra congratulations you now have a second rate airborne force um yeah that's yeah that's that's gonna hurt them a lot um again if the rumors about russian tank production are confirmed and the production and the rumors about russian uh buck production that it's been limited by uh or or even stopped by imports that's like that's just devastating um because they'll have to uh, try to start to regenerate um older units um uh, with either modified vehicles or just plain worse vehicles they're gonna have to rely on more t72bs they're gonna have to rely on you know just less capable inventory they have in stock into the future which will impact their readiness um I yeah. think this is definitely... Um, oh, God. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, I'm just going to chuck something in the chat for you at the moment. Or I'll just send it to you on, on IM. That's probably easier. Um, I was just looking through through Twitter because I can remember like making a prediction a little while ago um, about how I thought like this Russian invasion would look. And I haven't got it spot on. Um, you know, just, just for the sake of everything. I, I kind of predicted that they would push from... Crimea. You know that that map and... is pretty goddamn identical to uh, what like... the current situation in the south looks like. Yeah, so from oh, from man. the south front, I've November, pretty much got it spot on. November yeah, twenty fifth of twenty twenty one. Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 aged pretty damn well, especially if the Ukrainians recapture uh, Kyrgyzstan. Um, yeah, and, and again, this was—I think I remember—I said on the first tweet, like this was like a worst-case scenario for me. Like I, I, I thought this was, you know, really on the line of what Russia was going to go for. Just you know, the southern front. Um, I think you know, up until the invasion, I was still very, very skeptical that we were going to push in towards Kiev or, or or Kharkiv or anything like that. I was still pretty confident that. You know, Crimea and the land bridge and linking up to the the republics is still going to be like the primary goal. Um, but yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, I mean, just the more you think about it, just like it's crazy, like how many fronts they opened on like day one and have had to already abandon um, due to either like logistics issues or just poor planning or I guess in coal up to incompetence. Um, and with that, it was, uh, is it Shoigu, I don't know how to pronounce the, uh, Ministry of Defense, is it Sh Shugu, Shoigu, how do you say his name? Sergei Shoigu. Shoigu. I, I think that's how Westerners are pronouncing it. I, <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably not at all close to how he would pronounce it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's disappeared, right? I mean, there was rumors he had a heart attack, there was rumors he was poisoned, there was, he's just, since the, the invasion started going kind of badly, he's just disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, 
and I, I'm sure I see like again, I might have been baited by a troll here, but I'm sure I see maybe he had absolutely like no military experience. Is that right? Was he just like a politician that kind of got promoted, or have I been baited by that? Uh, I'm just kind of no, looking no, through no. his Wikipedia uh, page. So Shoyu has an interesting history. Um, uh, he's a government like service um person. Um, I forget which uh what he ran before, but he's not a he's not a military guy. Um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, he uh, let me double check here. Um, uh, da da da. Yeah, who's the minister of emergency situations? Um, and then was the uh briefly the governor of Moscow Oblast. Um, so uh, he's he's basically um uh, uh he's uh, again a member of Putin's inner circle. The main reason he's in the defense ministry is because he's trustworthy. Um, so uh, I mean, he's not a military guy. Uh, he really isn't, but Putin trusts him. Um, and by trust him, I think, you know, Shogu basically just told him what he wanted to hear, um, which I think has backfired in this case. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, like, I remember, like, everyone was watching the, um, the, the Russian, uh, I can't remember what it was, like, again, like, emergency security services meeting, whatever it was, prior to the recognition of the, of the republics in eastern Ukraine. And there was there was clearly um, two or three guys that didn't agree with it and looked terrified the entire time. Um, Shogu wasn't one of them, but I do think it was Lavrov. I think that seemed very hesitant to. I mean, I, I think in his speech he was kind of going. He was kind of you know reading the party line. He was saying you know talking about genocide and and this and that and you know how horrible it was for Russian speakers in the Donbass. But he he didn't seem as um, he didn't seem like he'd convinced himself more than anyone else that what he was saying was the truth. Um, and there was a couple of others, again, which seemed very, very uh, worried about what was being said. Um, and again, you know, from what you're seeing, like, you know, apparently Putin just doesn't deal with Lavrov much anymore. You know, you've seen, like, the videos, or the photos, sorry, of, you know, the meetings with, like, Macron with, like, the huge table. And you know Putin did the same thing to uh, to Lavrov, I believe. Um, but then you know in meetings with other politicians again, like Shoigu, who was you know sat right next to them or on a much shorter table, which again was is is wild. Uh, yeah, there, well, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that, uh, or I would just say theories because it's not a conspiracy if it's Putin. <laughs> it's not a conspiracy theory if it involves Putin. Um, yeah, but you know there is. Um, there's a chance people were saying he was extremely afraid of COVID, and so was taking, you know, social distancing to an extreme. Um, you know, I that could be a possibility. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's very much. Yeah, I I feel like remember when Trump used to do that weird handshake when he would like pull people towards him. Yeah, well, I I think it's very much along those lines. I think there's also the fact that he ended up green screening himself into a meeting. Yeah, that, that was, was funny. Uh, that was that was more interesting than anything else, because um, he could have gone to that meeting pretty easily. Um, it was with um, the flight attendants. Flight attendants, yeah, I couldn't think of the word. Really? Yeah, flight attendants. Honestly, I I don't know which is worse: the them being confused when he was there, or them being confused listening to an empty chair. Yeah, I just having to like nod and smile at this chair. I'm, no, I wonder if no. I put like a, a mannequin in it or something. Just <laughs> oh no, I'm sure the chair was absolutely empty, and there wasn't like a script being read or anything. They were just randomly nodding. Yeah, I imagine that's why they look so darn confused. Um, I did also see again. I'm not able to confirm this, and this might have been been again like someone trolling. But I didn't. I see something that they weren't flight attendants at all, and they were just security personnel dressed up as flight attendants. I'm, I'm not sure totally I saw sure a tweet I saw something about like that. that. I, you know, there are enough claims. It, again, it's Russia right now, so you know, not saying that ridiculous stuff is expected, but um, yeah, because yeah. I've had um, I've had like a, a couple of conversations with like journalists and stuff who were um, who, who've obviously been very interested in like OSINT and stuff like that since the since the war started, um, and and all of them have been kind of been asking like you know like you know what, what happens when you know, countries like Russia or other places, you know, start to clamp down on social media to, to you know, prevent this information getting out. And that's why I said it was really interesting that, you know, up to the war that Russia was in not 
making any attempt to stop these videos you know the the movements of tanks and like the trains and stuff like that they made absolutely no attempt to to stop any of that but as soon as the war started going you know badly for them that's when the law started coming out saying you can't film military positions you can't film military movements it's you know 15 20 years in jail and stuff like that um so it does you know it does kind of lean into the again like another theory that Russia wanted these videos to be released. They wanted people to post them on TikTok and they wanted people, you know, like ourselves to then share them far and wide and, you know, almost doing their job for them and kind of pushing the, you know, putting the, the, you know, the videos of the military might out. Um, Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of that narrative because what we ended up, you know, unintentionally doing was backing up the U.S., you know, intelligence community claim that Russia was preparing to invade while Russia at the same time was <clears> denying. Stuff like that would undercut their, you know, it will, I mean, they undercut it on their own already by invading, but it was definitely undercutting a lot of their positioning before the invasion. Yeah, it was just really interesting, though, that they were, again, they were making absolutely zero effort to stop the flow of these videos and, and stuff like that. But as soon, again, as soon as the war started going badly for them, that's now when they started clamping down on them. So maybe, again, they weren't happy about the videos, but they, maybe they also saw that it was having... Um, I don't know. Maybe there were there's positive outcomes of these videos for Russia as well. Yeah, I think it's there's there's a lot of um uncertainty about what the Russian modus operandi was, what their what their mission was in this case. Um yeah. I mean Yeah. I, I yeah. A lot of people are unsure. That's that it's a real question. Um and you know if I'm assuming someday we'll figure it out. There will be deeper dives into this. People will eventually figure out what happened. Um, that's a that's that's a big if there. Um, but I I do think there there is an element of of trying to understand why the Russians did this. Understand you know what their intentions. Yeah. No, definitely. It's uh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of. I mean, many years, I think, before we eventually figure out exactly what was going on <laughs> yeah. for this for this invasion. Um, I don't think there's been anything. I mean, we haven't really talked about the uh, the sinking of the Moskva, right? I mean, we should we should probably <laughs> at least touch on that a little bit. Yeah, there's there's still people trying to claim that uh, I I forget that uh, it was uh, a, a, an accidental sinking. Um, I I don't really. Uh... Not saying I don't believe it, but you know, I don't believe it. I, I, yeah, I... yeah. I mean, like for the photos of the ship. I mean, the two photos and the very short video we have. It. I mean, I've got bad eyes as it is, and it's you know they're not great quality photos, but it definitely looks like there are two holes on the hull of that ship. Um. I don't think Which, it's just you know, that. It's it's either the Russians have to choose either did their ship randomly explode, and then their yeah. damage control was so poor that they just sunk, with you know losing a, a, an unknown number of of uh, of crew members, or did they get you know hit by a Ukrainian missile attack and they were unable to stop it? Like I I really I don't know which is worse. Like I legitimately do not know which is worse in that situation. Yeah, it's very difficult isn't it and i mean obviously now the us are supporting ukraine's claim that it was a missile strike um and it seems like the the us have been you know in, in i was expecting them to i don't know how to say it, but to kind of just blindly agree with everything ukraine said a lot of the time so you know i was kind of expecting ukraine to you know if ukraine said it was a missile the us would just come out and be like yep it was a missile I think like very early they came out and they were like, well, we don't know if it was a missile. We can't confirm it was a missile. You know, it might have been a missile. And then, you know, only hours later did they eventually say, you know, we do think it was a missile. Um, yeah, but I, I was kind of expecting the US to be a lot more, I guess, supportive of Ukraine's claims. I mean, especially claims that aren't that, you know, not like ridiculous at the time, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, but... I. I... There are still questions about how the Ukrainians managed to pull something like that off. Um, there are assumptions um, that have been made 
um, about the actual capabilities of the Moskva um, when it comes to defending against cruise missile attacks, the, the capabilities of, you know, of it to actually detect um, incoming cruise missiles and then engage them. Um, but, I mean, whatever happened, their damage control was god-awful. Um, they'd completely, yeah. it, it looks like they had completely abandoned the ship um, while it was still you know, not in wasn't going down, but it, it, it and it wasn't, you know, completely fine, but there was obviously, you know, there there was it, it was still floating when they abandoned it. Um and so there there is sort of a question there of, of um of what the situation actually was. Yeah. Um it, it yeah, it's very difficult to say. I mean obviously they say it's sunk in a storm. Um, the photos and videos they, that have been released showing the ship seem to be very calm waters. <laughs> no, no sign of a storm whatsoever. So obviously, you know, they're saying it was damaged by an accidental ammunition explosion, I believe, and then sunk while being towed by in, in rough seas. Um, which I mean, there there was a rescue tug there, so I mean, I do believe they might have gotten it under tow. Um, by the time it sank. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt they, it was it was towed. I mean. Um, I mean, I, I'm doubting that it was rough seas that caused it to sink. No, this obviously, I mean, we, we've seen videos, we've seen pictures, there were not rough seas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not exactly. And I mean, I've, I've been refreshing kind of sat imagery for like the last two or three days, just waiting to, <laughs> to see if there's anything which suggests where she might have sunk. I mean, we got, um, I mean, kind of half fluked, half found where the ship was on the evening of the 14th, which is the evening she was hit, right? The 14th? Thursday uh, evening? Yeah, maybe the night of the 13th. On the 13th, 13th. Yeah, early 14th, night of the 13th. Uh, uh, that was probably when it was at. Yeah, so I think it was the 13th. I think we had some uh, SAR imagery of the um, the 13th. Um, and she was, you know, about... 100 kilometers south of, of Dessa at that point. Um, and I've seen, you know, m much more reputable pe people who do ship tracking than me have said, you know, it's, it, it was the same position that I found. So it looks like, you know, on the 13th, she was where everyone kind of expected her to be. So if Len, you know, being towed, would expect Len head towards, uh, you know, the base of Sevastopol. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have any imagery of most of the Black Sea in, in you know in those days prior or in between, sorry I should say. So hopefully in the next couple of days or so we do get something and we can maybe see I don't know, an oil slick or maybe depending on what day the imagery was taken, maybe a fire or something like that on the water but at the moment I think it's still completely a mystery, right? Like how far they managed to tow the ship before it did eventually sink. You know, it could have been five nautical miles it could be 50 nautical miles we've got absolutely no way to tell at the moment yeah and that, that again i i think the question at this point is there was obviously a, a failure or correction there's a failure somewhere in that russian you know chain of mm. you know if there was a ukrainian missile attack did they fail to detect did they fail to engage it properly or did they fail damage control um i know all well not all of them or yeah or all of them at the same time which you know there's a possibility that that might have happened. Um, so I, I think at this point, obviously, there, there was a failure somewhere. Um, and the Russian Navy has a bit of egg on their face. But um, short of that, I mean, it's damaging um, for them. I mean, it removes a flagship um from their, you know, operations of the Black Sea, they can't replace it because of the Montreux Convention, and, you know, Turkey won't allow another replacement to sail through. Um, the Moscova wasn't really involved in any offensive operations, uh, or it doesn't no, seem it was like, like a, they were involved. No, right? yeah, it was like an right? It had, like, 64 S-300s on board or something like that. It yeah, was it, largely it, for air defense. It primarily would have been a fleet air defense asset, you know, with added anti-ship missile capabilities in you know, case they wanted to do something really stupid. Um, but it definitely re removes a lot of that capability from the Black Sea. Um, it, I, I think arguably the, 
it was less capable at defending itself than a lot of other Russian vessels in the um a lot of the Russian frigates and corvettes ha are more modern and have a bit better of a um, unitary defensive capability. Um, the Moskva is, again, 1970s tech, basically. Um, and, you know, that's... It's lacking in some areas, obviously. Yeah, no, exactly. Um... And yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it is a big loss for Russia. I mean, there's a lot of people trying to downplay it. Um, but, you know, if nothing else, it's just, like you said, it's just embarrassing to lose, you know, a flagship of a fleet um, against a nation that currently doesn't even have a functioning navy. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really, I think it was, I think it's going to be shocking um, to, to Russia um again i i mean it was obviously hanging out quite close to the coast because you know i don't think the neptune missiles have a huge range right uh it's more than the harpoon i think it's uh i'm gonna have to do google hitting here i want to say maybe oh, 120 um well, it's basically a modified KH-35. Um, it is, yeah, 150 to, uh, to 190 miles. Okay, okay. So, yeah, it's actually quite a bit longer than I expected. For some reason, I thought it was... Um, I thought it was shorter for some reason. I thought it was sub-200. Uh, well, I mean, it is sub-200 miles. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, kilo it's... yeah, kilometers. I was thinking some two hundred kilometers, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's, it's one hundred ninety miles on Reddit as kilometers for some reason. I think that might be what happened there. Yeah, I um, mean, it's a capable platform. It's based on an additionally capable platform. Um, you know, I, I, I really, in, I understand in theory how they pulled it off. In yeah, practice, but in practice, yeah, it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it, it seems, I think maybe they just lobbed some missiles in, in like, frustration, just didn't expect them to hit. <laughs> no, no, I believe this was well-planned. Oh, yeah. I just no, believe that I, it was a combination of it being more. very well-planned and just ridiculously lucky. Um, yeah. Where they managed to, cause I, I'm, I'm going to be very, very frank about this. I think they had a lot of ISR data from the U.S. about target tracking, oh, positioning. Um, they they probably knew a lot about what the Moskova was doing, um, and they were able to craft an attack plan that took advantage of that. Um, so what they were able to basically do is um, is distract the Moskova. They were assuming that there was no you know airborne early warning cover that could detect cruise missiles. Um, and they sort of designed it in a way that it would be very hard for the Russians to uh, detect and then counter it in any reasonable time. Because, again, a lot of this is reaction time. Um, you know, if you're detecting a cruise missile 12 miles out and it's coming at you at, you know, 500, 600 miles an hour, you're going to have time to, I don't know, maybe get a single one of your S-300s out. Um, yeah. And then at that point, you're relying off your, frankly, not great SAN-4s. Um, and see is. Yeah, yeah, and but I mean, I don't think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming maybe Russia just didn't think that the Neptunes were a threat. Cause I don't, I don't think they. No, they I think have. they thought they were a threat. I think they also thought, you know, what most people thought was that, you know, the, you know, a, a cruiser is a very capable platform and could take on, you know, just a few missiles, and it would be very, you know, stupid for the Ukrainians to try a piecemeal attack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think it was probably a mix of confidence and just. I mean, no, no, because no, it's not else. just confidence. Even I said that, and you know, I I tend to think of myself as not a completely stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've I've run simulations on the topic. I've I've talked about it with a lot of people. I've talked about it with you know naval experts. Um, and I mean the general, I think. Um, I, I think the general idea was that a platform like that would be able to counter, you know, up to like 10 anti-ship missiles at a time. Um, 
before you really saturated its defenses. Um, but again, obviously, no one really had access to the true capabilities of the platform, and it turns out that, wow, it's a lot worse than we thought it was. Um, or something, you know, really went wrong. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I don't think Ukraine was known to have even like a huge number of them, right? I, I'm sure I read something that said maybe they only had like two batteries. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm sure it, they have one, maybe two in service. Yeah, so, yeah, again, like I say, I'm sure like Russia was very much aware of the threat of it, but just assumed they would be able to deal with any kind of launches, and that's why they were so close, operating so close to the coastline. Um, and I'm assuming the, the Moscow probably had to operate so close just to be um, you know, effective. It was still off of Snake Island. From my opinion, it was basically it was basically there to serve as you know an air defense asset, um, to sort of suppress stuff over Odessa to you know serve as a radar picket and and to effectively be a presence in that area to keep the Ukrainians from using it. Yeah. Um, oh, it was really interesting. I just saw posted on Twitter the um, the Azov Battalion Telegram channel. Um, latest message: This channel is under the jurisdiction of the Russian Ministry of Defense. The owners have been detained and are facing trial for sedition, uh, as what? well as it's inciting. Yeah, the Azov Battalion. Maybe it's been hacked, but the latest message as of the Azov Battalion saying it's now under the jurisdiction of the Russian Ministry of Defense. Uh, Azov Battalion just Telegram send me channel. That real quick. I yeah. I don't. <laughs> I'm assuming they got hacked, or maybe someone who had access got their stuff taken, but yeah. Yeah, possibly. Um, and I have also seen, um, apparently, um, yeah, apparently the, the, the Donbass operation has, is fully underway at this point. Apparently the shelling along the front is absolutely massive at the moment this evening, so as, as of, I think that's 11pm Kiev time, let me double check that. Uh... Yeah, so it's 2300 in Kiev, yeah. So as of 11pm Kiev on 18th of April, it seems um, shelling along the front has increased substantially, um, especially towards Mikhailov, apparently, or Mikhailov, um, which is really interesting. Apparently it's very heavy along the... I wasn't expecting to maybe launch an offensive towards that direction, but maybe they're just trying to stop any kind of counter-push in that direction from Ukraine. Um, yeah, so it seems like the next phase of the operation is fully underway at the moment. So again, like I mentioned earlier, maybe the next week, 10 days, two weeks is going to be, I think it's going to be decisive in um, in how the war goes. And yeah, I'm seeing videos on Twitter right now, which is absolutely huge uh, rocket yeah. artillery fire. Never mind. So I, I stand completely corrected about that earlier part about the offensive <laughs> not starting. For yeah, sure, yeah. It all has to happen while we're recording this episode. Um, yeah, of course. So, yeah, I think it's going to be late night for a lot of people tonight. I mean, maybe not myself, I'm already very tired, so unfortunately I probably won't be a way to cover as much as I want, but um, yeah, tomorrow especially, I think it's going to be it's going to be a very busy couple of days for a lot of uh, OSIN accounts coming up. Um, uh... Yeah, it feels like we should have taken a break at some point. <laughs> When the yeah. when the uh, when the war kind of stagnated, I feel like that was our cue for everyone to maybe take some time off. But hindsight yeah, is a wonderful thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's so yeah, that's that started tonight. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else we should touch on before we look to wrap up? I mean, obviously, you mentioned about earlier about uh, tensions between Gaza and. Israel again, very high, especially around the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, there was a couple of rockets, I believe, fired from Gaza earlier this evening, around 8pm, I believe, uh, local time in Israel. It's normally 9pm, the factions like, isn't it? That's normally the kind of go time. Um, but it looks like there was one, maybe two rockets fired that were intercepted by Iron Dome, so I would expect in the next hour, two hours, probably see some Israeli strikes in Gaza, probably striking, yeah, what's they call them? They always call them like Hamas kind of um, outposts, right? That seems to be the, the favoured term. Um, probably be a, a house or maybe a, you know, something like that that they claim Hamas are using as a, as a kind of uh, 
space. So we'll probably see some airstrikes this evening. Um, yesterday, all day before, uh, Turkey obviously started a new operation in northern Iraq, or in the in the KRG, Kurdistan Regional Government, I should say, uh, against the PKK. Um, I've again been very busy trying to cover, you know, follow everything from Ukraine once, but yeah, it seems like um, quite lucky that I've got a uh, a guy that runs a Kurdish map who very frequently sends me updates, so I don't have to do a lot of digging myself. But um, yeah, it seems there's been very heavy fighting in in that region at the moment. Um, the as of 5 p.m. this evening, he sent me a message. Apparently, the Turkish Ministry of Defence were claiming um, 19 PKK killed so far. Uh, the PKK are claiming that 32 Turkish soldiers have been killed, which is again an, a completely unrealistic. Apparently, the confirmed casualties are four wounded Turkish soldiers as of this evening. Um, but again, both sides massively inflating figures. I very much doubt that 19 PKK have been killed so far. Um, I mean, just by nature of of them, they, you know, the guerrilla force they operate very well against Turkey in the mountains there, um, and it's very difficult to to conduct uh, operation, the you know, offensive operations there. So, um, yeah, there definitely seems to be a large scale operation in in that region at the moment. I'll you know I'll try my best to keep an eye on it. Um, but it's not an area in which I have a huge amount of, of knowledge or information. I mean, Iraq in general, I've got a little bit, but not specifically um, the Kurdish regions in the north of the country. So that's, again, and obviously another, I say, I'll say another war, but not another war. It's just, like, I guess, another continuation of the war, the, the uh, Turkey's war against the PKK, um, which is obviously between Iraq and Syria. Um, anything else you can think of has happened since we've uh, no, but I'm expecting that everything that we just said is about you know whatever Russian phase of the invasion is going to be tested in the next forty eight hours, so I'm gonna get this episode yeah. up as quickly as possible so we don't look like complete <laughs> morons, yeah, I'm just completely uh, outdated yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I'm trying to think yeah, there's nothing I mean. It, Looks like Armenia and Azerbaijan as well. That that could be an area to keep an eye on. There seems to be Azerbaijan seems to be kind of probing there a little bit more. Nothing serious, I believe. Um, maybe a week or so ago, there was um, a couple of kind of localized firefights. I believe some Armenian soldiers were killed. Um, I believe some Azerbaijani soldiers were wounded. So you know that's still very much a simmering conflict. I mean, the that only just ended what end of twenty twenty one, right? Or was it summer twenty twenty one, maybe? Um, the conflict there. I'm going to have to Google that or I'm going to look really stupid again. Uh, oh, 20, oh, it was 2020. Jesus. It wasn't even 21. Yeah. I look really stupid now. Jesus. Um, and yeah, and that was yeah September, November, September to November 2020. So lockdown has just completely ruined my perception of time. Yeah, no more, no I'm... more, uh, no more perception of time. Sorry, that got taken away a while ago. Um, yeah, I could have sworn that was 2021. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was towards the end of 2020, I guess, but not... Yeah, you but know, still. It was, <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it was September, so it was not even like it was... If it was December, I'd kind of forgive myself, but yeah, yeah. that was... Yeah, that was September. Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, there's, there's Russian peacekeeping troops there as well. Um, you know, Armenia, obviously, traditionally a... Russian ally. I mean, Azerbaijan aren't. I wouldn't say they're hostile to Russia, um, but Armenia, obviously, I'd say a lot closer. They're in the um... oh god, what's Russian NATO called? Uh, CTSO or CST? Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, obviously, Armenia's in that. Azerbaijan, where I believe they pulled out in. Without googling it, I'm going to say maybe it's. I want to. Is it? Was it the 90s? Maybe. Um, but Azerbaijan used to be in it. They obviously pulled out, um, and traditionally are a lot closer ally with Turkey, who are obviously very close with Ukraine, who are currently fighting a war against Russia. So, yeah, I would I wouldn't be surprised to to see um, you know Azerbaijan and Armenia heat up again in the next in the coming weeks. 
Um, but yeah, other than that, there's I don't think the well, obviously there's a huge amount going on. Um, not a huge amount that more I think that I've got visibility of at the moment. Yeah, that's that's really all I can see. I want to get this episode up as quickly as possible, so I'm just gonna wrap everything yeah. up before I can let Kyle get on another tangent. Um, yeah, yeah, that's my thank, bad. <laughs> thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we're gonna be back in you know X amount of time, uh, hopefully as soon as possible, just because uh, we had an interesting last month. Everyone was very busy. It it was <laughs> yeah, it was certainly a month. That's all I'm gonna say. But um, thank you everyone for listening, and we hope to see you in the near future.